Welcome to the New Beginnings Fellowship Podcast. Join us as we dive into this series on Advent, focusing on the impact of Christ's birth and rediscovering the wonder of His salvation. We'll learn together the power of the hope, peace, joy, and love we find in Him. Wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused to be born again. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved with various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining to the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jeremy. I'm the youth pastor here at NBF, and I am really, really excited to bring you God's word this morning. It is filled with hope. Today kicks off a special time of year for us as believers. Uh, It's a year, or I mean, it's a season of Advent, as Ryan had uh, spoken to earlier. Advent stems from the Latin word uh, that originally means coming or arrival. And so the Advent season is a time of anticipating the coming, the arrival of that day where we get to celebrate Christ's birth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's a theologian of, the, um, of World War II. Um, during that time period, he has this to say about Advent. He says, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. It brings to mind scripture that Uh, We taught on not so long ago, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so this time of Advent, it really is an anticipation. It's a preparing of our hearts and minds, recognizing that we are poor in spirit, that we are in need of a Savior. It runs so much deeper than just marking the calendar for December 25th and preparing the house, getting it clean for relatives and buying all of the Christmas gifts and setting up the Christmas tree. All of those things are fun and they get us excited for Christmas day. But Advent is a time of preparing the heart and the mind to join in with the hosts of angels found in the beginning of Luke as they sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he's pleased. We get excited to make haste with the shepherds as they go to the manger. They find Mary and Joseph caring for a baby, caring for the Messiah, the Savior of the world. 
Advent is a time of anticipating and celebrating that Christ has come and everything has changed. To help prepare our hearts for this Christmas day, the teaching team has come up with four themes that we see stemming from Christmas, hope, peace, love, and joy. Today, I'm excited to be able to talk with you guys about hope, hope in Christ's coming. You can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. That's where we'll be spending most of our time today. Hope is an interesting word. It's interesting because we use it to encompass a a wide range of emotions. I hope that the Denver Broncos are better next year than they are this year because they are really, really bad. I hope that my professor allows an extension on my paper that was due Friday because it's not yet finished. In fact, it's not even started. I hope that Pastor Jeremy keeps the sermon brief and that the line at Cracker Barrel is short because I am really, really hungry. I hope that this time next year, my aunt will be cancer-free. I hope that this time next year, my wife and I can be holding a baby in our arms that's ours, something that we've hoped for for a long, long time. I hope that those who have experienced the pain of one of their children walking away from the faith will experience the joy of their children returning to the faith. There's so many things that we hope for, so many different circumstances that we use that word. I think it's important at the beginning of our sermon today to kind of clarify what kind of hope it is that we're talking about. Biblical hope is faith in the future tense. Biblical hope is faith in the future tense. It's a confidence in that God is faithful to fulfill his every promise. This kind of hope is not a finger-crossing wish. It's fueled by faith and it drives our actions, our attitudes, and our affections. Romans 8, 24 through 25, it says this about hope. It says, in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The Advent season is about waiting with patience. It creates space for us to fan the flame of our faith in what Christ has already done in order to fan the flame of our hope in what he is going to do. In today's time together, we get to explore the story of hope, the hope of humanity that has endured for thousands in thousands of years, and it's been recorded in these pages. It's a hope of Israel. It's a hope of Mary, and it's a hope for you and for me. Because of Jesus, the hope of Israel has become our own. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. Sound good? Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for your word. Father, I pray that as we open up your word together, that you would reveal your hope to us, that we would cling to it, 
that it would become our own, and that we grow closer to you today because of these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Israel's hope. What was it that Israel was hoping for 2,000 years ago? For Israel, their hope, it begins in the garden, the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had been given total provision by God. All of their significance, their security, their purpose, it was found in Him. They had this beautiful relationship with Him. He had given them permission to enjoy everything that the garden had to offer except for one thing. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. They were not to eat of its fruit. Y'all know the story. Then comes along this serpent. This creature who's in rebellion against God and wanting to corrupt God's good and perfect creation by casting doubt in his goodness and leading man on a path towards death. He convinces Adam and Eve to eat from this forbidden tree, and they do, and the garden is lost. Evil enters God's good world. And it's here that we see hope take center stage in the narrative. God makes a promise to Adam and Eve that someone is going to come in the future, a son of Eve, and he's going to crush the serpent's head and destroy evil at its source. But at the same time, the serpent is going to strike the heel of our hero and both will be destroyed. This strange and beautiful promise is made and then man is left waiting, hoping, until we come to a man named Abraham. And God promises Abraham that through his family, goodness and blessing is going to be restored back to the nations and to the world, and then more waiting and more hoping until we get to a man named Judah. And Judah was promised that from his family line, there would be a king, a king that the whole world would follow. This king would, eventually, would bring in peace and harmony, and all would be restored. And then there was more waiting, more hoping, until we get to this first king from the line of Judah. His name is David, and God loves David, and the people of Israel love David, and he is this hero in the faith. And we read about David, and we wonder, is this the snake-crushing king? And then we realize that David is affected by sin as much as the rest of the world. In fact, David does some really awful things. But God makes a promise to David that it is through his line that this snake-crushing, conquering king would come. But as we go on in the story, one by one, generation after generation of David's sons, they choose not to follow God. They choose to give in to this snake, and they give in to the love of money, power, lust, and worship of other gods. Things get so bad that they run the nation of Israel into the ground, where the empire of Babylon, it completely wipes them out. All that's left is a remnant of Israel. There's no king to even fulfill 
the promise and Israel is left waiting and hoping and it seems as if God's promise has been lost. But during these dark times, there's these really unique and sometimes bizarre men called the prophets. These are men who were chosen by God to speak directly to the people of Israel on behalf of God. And they kept talking about this coming king. And they reminded the people that he would come and defeat evil and restore the garden of Genesis. One of these prophets is Isaiah. And he told us why the hero in Genesis had to be bitten by the snake. And he says that it's because of humanity's evil. It is because of humanity's evil that it kills him. But because he received this wound, he can now be a source of healing to other people. Sound familiar? Isaiah and the other prophets, they give these hope-filled prophecies, and then there is more waiting. Eventually, the Old Testament ends. The prophets stop uttering the oracles of God Israel is under the rule of the Persians and then the Greeks and finally the Romans. And so they continue to wait and to wait for 400 years. They wait. No snake crushing king, no prophet, no word from God. The people of Israel are left clinging to the words of Isaiah for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this israel was waiting Richard has taught us in the past that the Hebrew word for waiting is kovah. And kovah is not some sort of passive waiting. It is a waiting with eager expectation. Their hope was grounded in God's promises for a Messiah. Their hope was not a finger-crossing wish. It was filled by faith. And it was woven into the fabric of their daily lives, their culture, and their community. And this is where we find Mary. Mary is hoping and waiting alongside her people to see the promises of God fulfilled for a coming king, a liberating king, a Messiah. Let's read together Luke chapter 1 verse 26, Mary's hope. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting This might be. And the angel of the Lord said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus. 
He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose, went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leaped. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The hopes and the dreams of a teenage girl had a collision with the plans and the promises of a living God. Many scholars believe that Mary was just a teenager, around maybe 16 years of age, when visited by the angel. Yes, she had hopes for a Messiah like the rest of her people, but she was also just a teenage girl. She had hopes and dreams like any other teenage girl would. She probably hoped to please her father and mother. She probably hoped that the marriage ceremony would go well as two families were coming together, hers and Joseph's. She probably hoped for a happy marriage, one where she was able to start a family of her own. And God, knowing Mary, knowing all of her hopes, he met this girl in a tiny town of backwoods Nazareth and turned all of those hopes on their head. Verse 28, the call. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It's interesting that Mary is not startled by the presence of an angel because that's what I would be startled by. She's not startled by the presence of the angel. She's startled by the saying. She's startled by the greeting. The Lord is with you. There's something troubling about this greeting. For a young Jewish woman to hear the Lord is with you would bring to mind many of the heroes of faith that came before her. She probably was considering Moses at the burning bush or Joshua as he was equipped to lead the people of Israel or Gideon when he was called to liberate the people from the Midianites. Oftentimes, 
just before God would call someone to do something important, a task or a mission for him, that no doubt would stretch that person beyond their own capabilities. He would give them this assurance, the Lord will be with you. And so Mary hears these words and she can only wonder what God might have in store for her. She's troubled at this greeting. And the angel follows this greeting up with an assurance and a promise. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. A promise made in the garden. A promise made to Adam and Eve, thousands of years of waiting. And then Gabriel utters these words. And that promise is fulfilled. There will be no more waiting. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords is coming. It's an ushering in of the kingdom of God. And he doesn't go to some high priest. He doesn't go to the magistrate. He doesn't go to some prominent leader in Israel. The first person to hear of Jesus, Yeshua, Emmanuel, God with us, is a girl from Galilee. It's a girl from Galilee, just a teenager who has been chosen for the impossible. Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus and translated into Koine Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in. Yeshua is translated Iesus, which is then translated into English as Jesus. So it goes from Yeshua to Jesus, to Jesus. But the Hebrew name Yeshua, it actually is translated Joshua. Yeshua means Joshua. Joshua is the name that Mary would have heard when the angels first spoke it. Joshua means Yahweh saves. God saves in Hebrew. No doubt Mary would have thought of Joshua of the Old Testament who led Israel to the promised land. This is not just a normal name. This is a powerful name. This is the name of a Messiah. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be called Holy the Son of God. Mary's response is not one of doubt. She doesn't say that's impossible. That could never be. I'm just a virgin. No, instead, she simply asks how these things are going to take place. She's looking for more details. We know that her response is not one of doubting because of the interaction that she has with Elizabeth in verse 45. Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of that which was spoken to her from the Lord. And if anyone knew what a lack of faith in the promises of God looked like, it would be Elizabeth. Because she was married to a man who was mute, unable to speak, because he didn't believe in what an angel had said to them. 
You can look at that story. It's just before the one that we're reading right now in Luke chapter 1. Zechariah is her husband, and he's a priest, and he was offering incense in the temple to God. Zechariah and Elizabeth have been barren for many, many years. They've not been able to have children. And when Zechariah is offering incense to the Lord, an angel, Gabriel, he comes to Zechariah and he says, Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. You are going to have a son. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're to name him John. He is going to be the one to usher in the kingdom of God. He's going to speak of the Messiah. And Zechariah has this in response. To the angel. He says, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He looks at the angel of God and he says, How is this going to happen? I'm old, she's old. This, it's not going to work. It's a question that at first glance, it looks a lot like Mary's. But when you look at the response of the angel, you see that it's a very different response than Mary got. And I believe that if Mary was lacking faith, she would have received a similar response that Zechariah did. This is how the angel responds to Zechariah. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. He looks at Zechariah and he says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Do you need any more confirmation than this? But because you had a lack of faith, you're not going to be able to say anything else. Because the first words out of your mouth were doubt, you're not allowed to talk anymore. I took that away from you until you see that it comes to fulfill. So Zechariah, he comes out of the temple and he's mute. He's unable to speak. And when he goes home, Elizabeth conceives and she is with child. And so Elizabeth, she's six months pregnant. When Mary comes to her, Mary says, hi, Elizabeth. And at that greeting, Elizabeth has a leaping in her stomach. The baby leaps with joy. Elizabeth looks at Mary, who's talking. She looks at Zechariah, who's not able to talk. And she says, boy, I'm really glad that you listened and believed the angel when he talked to you. Because if you had chosen to not believe, you would look like my mutton-headed husband over here who can't say a word right now. And so we know that Mary had faith, and Mary's faith is held in contrast with Zechariah's doubt, a priest of the Lord. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your position. What matters is your faith. Your faith is what pleases God. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it is impossible to please God. One must believe that he is who he says he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It's about your faith. What matters is your confidence in God, your ability to take him at his word and trust that he will follow through. The faith of this teenage girl is at the foundation of the Christmas story. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born 
will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel speaks of the mysteries of the Immaculate Conception. And as if to leave no room for doubt, he tells Mary of his cousin's miracle that has already taken place, that she, even in her old age, is able to bear a child. And then he says this, nothing is impossible with God. Aren't the ways of God incredible? Knowing Mary, making it so personal for her, he plans this from the very beginning. Withholding children from one of his cousins, one of her cousins, for the purpose of strengthening her faith in the time she needs it most. To show her that God is able to do whatever he chooses, whenever he chooses. He goes before her and he gives her a confidant in Elizabeth. Someone that she can share in this joy of having this miracle happen to her. Elizabeth doesn't question the conception of this baby. She doesn't wonder how, how Mary had become pregnant. In fact, she celebrates even before Mary has time to explain. This miracle, it displays the intentionality, the planning, and the care of a heavenly father who knows Mary. He reveals himself to Mary. He assures Mary that she's not alone. He appoints Mary with a purpose. He shows her that it's by his power, the power of his Holy Spirit, that it will take place. And then he strengthens her faith by revealing a miracle that had happened in one of her relatives. This is a personal miracle. This is a personal calling. It's a personal plan that God has given for Mary. Jesus, God, is a planner. He's a planner, people. He doesn't just slap things together. He's intentional about the way he goes about doing things. And so when we look at our own lives, we have to say, there are times that we question, is God falling asleep at the wheel? No, he's a planner. And so when he has you going through difficult things, when you have difficult circumstances, trust that he has a plan in place, something that you can take to the bank. The Bible says Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The faithfulness of God in the past, the faithfulness of God in her present, it was producing in her a hope that she was going to need for future challenges. Because Lord knows it's not easy to be a teenage pregnant woman outside of wedlock during those times. Lord knows that it's not easy to be the mother of the Messiah, a man who's making wild claims, bold claims. Not easy to be that man's mother. She was going to need a whole lot of hope, and God was giving it to her. Mary responds to the angel by saying, Behold, 
I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her church. What a beautiful response of Mary. What a beautiful response from Mary. Total and complete surrender. God revealed the plan. She asked for some details. He said, it's going to be a little out of the box. It might be a little crazy. She said, let's go. Without knowing how she was going to explain it to her parents. Without considering what kind of rumors might arise from this miracle taking place. Without thinking about how it was going to put her marriage with Joseph in jeopardy. She said, Let's do this. She heard nothing is impossible with God, and she said, okay, I'm in. She laid down all of her hopes for the future in order to receive a greater hope. How many of us are holding back? How many of us have received a word from the Lord? We poured over His Scripture. He's assured us that He would be with us. He's told us what to do, and we just can't take the leap because we're afraid. We're afraid of the cost. Church, listen. The only way to experience a hope-filled future is to walk by faith. As you pour over God's Word and He reveals His plans to you, don't hesitate to embrace the adventure just because you're afraid. Know that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. That makes much of his name. He will be glorified in it. It may not be the comfortable path. It may not be the easy one that you had hoped for. But it is the only path that leads to eternal life. When Mary surrendered her life to the will of God, she surrendered all of her plans for her future, all of her hopes. And in return, she received the greater hope. Mary would hold the Messiah in her arms, the salvation of her people. We look at the story of Israel. We look at the story of Mary. We see the hope that God has interwoven into both of these stories. And in the middle of all of that, we find our hope. In the gospel account of Matthew, Matthew tells the story of the Christmas story from the perspective of Joseph, Mary's husband-to-be. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear you a son. You shall call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel looks at Joseph and says, She will bear a son. You shall call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. This Jesus this miraculously conceived, prophecy-fulfilling, conquering king. He lived a sinless life. He died a criminal's death. And he rose from the grave three days later that we might have hope, believing in his name. 
This is where our hope comes from. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Church, this is our hope. This is our hope. The forgiveness of sin. A restored position before God. Eternal life in his presence. This hope is not based on circumstances. My aunt may still have cancer next year, but she has hope that her resurrected body will be made whole and she will be well in eternity. My wife and I may not have a child next year, but we believe that God is able to do the impossible. And therefore, he chooses for us not to have children now. And there is a purpose in our barrenness. We have hope that for now, our life brings him more glory not having children than if we did have children. And we are most satisfied in him when he is most magnified by our lives. The Lord is our shepherd. We have all that we need. And so we don't need a child. We want a child. And there are seasons that we grieve not having children, but we have hope that God has a plan and a purpose in all of this, and we rejoice in Him. What do you place your hope in? What is your hope in? Are you hoping that the Broncos are better next season than they are this season? Are you hoping for short lines at the grocery store, the Cracker Barrel? Are you hoping for broken sin cycles, for physical healings, for restored relationships? Church, whatever you're hoping in today, know that you have a greater hope in Jesus. You have a greater hope. We're not waiting for a Messiah. He's already come. We're not hoping for freedom from our sin. It's already ours, freely forgiven, bought by the blood of Jesus. So what are we hoping for? A change in our circumstances or a collision with the plans and the promises of a living God? Are you ready to surrender your hopes, your plans for the future, your comfort and your security in order to receive a greater hope? One that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed at the last time. There's an Aramaic word that my wife and I, we've kind of become obsessed with. It's Maranatha. Maranatha means come Lord Jesus. But if you change the emphasis on the word, it also means the Lord has come. Come, Lord Jesus, the Lord has come. It's a word that early believers would use to express their waiting, their quava, their eager expectation. They would say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, the Lord has come. They would look at the faithfulness of God in the life of Israel. They would look at the faithfulness of God in the life of Mary. 
they would look at God's faithfulness in their own lives and they would let that well up inside of them and give them a hope. They would say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, the Lord has come. So this Advent season, I challenge you, search the scriptures, treasure them up in your heart. Consider God's faithfulness to you and to your family and let that well up inside of you, a Maranatha, a come Lord Jesus, the Lord has come. And remember that that Maranatha, that hope inside of you, it's not to be hoarded. It's not to be kept just for yourself because there are people who do not have the hope of Christ. And they're looking only to their circumstances to give them hope. And that church is hopeless. Remember that you have Maranatha inside you and give it freely this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying the death we deserve so that we could live a life filled with a living hope. Lord, I pray that we all would receive this hope for ourselves, and that we would freely give it to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about New Beginnings Fellowship, connect with us or give, visit nbfhollister.org. Have a great week. And remember, we are the church who radically loves, serves, and encourages.